Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. Of CD game show trolls. The smiling lie of the televised hive. The witches are watching with their thousand eyes. Witches are watching with their thousand eyes. We smell rotten teeth. That speak beyond belief. A stick inside their skull. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 62. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <coughs> The Fun Ideas Podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at leescomics.com. Headquartered, the book on the monkey's solo career is is just about done. My co-author, Michael A. Ventrella, will be attending Beetlefest and selling copies of it and our previous monkey's book there, taking advance orders if necessary. I'm still doing the final edits and image placement for the Total Television scrapbook. It looks really good, and I will be turning it in soon. I just got the assignment to do an article for Back Issue Magazine on Underdog, and I may have another article for them on Hee-Haw! The Warren Kramer book is due back from the publisher, and I'm still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, and, of course, the Mad Book. Our guest today publishes the highly successful Nostalgia Digest, available for sale at your local Barnes & Noble. He also hosts his own podcasts and various other shows saluting old-time radio. Here he is, Steve Darnall. Okay, on the phone today I have Steve Darnall. How are you, sir? I'm great, Mark. And you? Fine. And uh, as I usually do on a lot of these shows, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in old-time radio and nostalgia and all the other stuff you do. Oh, mercy. Well, um, to answer the first part of the question, I, I, uh, for the last decade I've been the host of the radio show Those Were the Days here in the Chicago area on WDCB. And, of course, worldwide, thanks to the Internet, uh, WDCB.org. Um, I've also, for good grief, 14 plus years, I've been the publisher and editor of Nostalgia Digest, which is the quarterly magazine about the golden age of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, again, through, through the World Wide Web at NostalgiaDigest.com, that's available everywhere. Uh, it's really been quite amazing to see 
hold of, of something that used to be considered so insular and so regional. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now we have subscribers uh, in all across the country and three other continents as well. So um, I better check that. Yes, yes, three other. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> to answer the second part of your question, how I got into old-time radio, I was about 12 years old when I discovered the Those Were the Days program. Uh, at the time, it was being hosted by Chuck Shaden, the man who founded the show back in 1970. Hmm. And my father had turned me on to it just quite innocently, and, and when he turned it on, uh, Chuck was playing Fibber McGee and Molly. Hmm. And that, in a way, that was perfect, because it was sort of... Uh, verbal and smart-alecky humor that, that I think at the time a 12-year-old would probably have loved. I don't know if 12-year-olds today would feel that way or not. <laughs> it was, um, and, and it was sort of like inexpensive time travel, you know, because you were, you were hearing all this stuff from 30 or 40 years earlier, which was quite fascinating, and you just sort of realized, oh my gosh, those people are laughing just like I'm laughing. Mm-hmm. How about that? <laughs> And uh, did you think when when you were listening then, someday I will host this show, or was that like the furthest thing from your mind? <laughs> I don't think it was. The, when I first heard it, no, that, the idea wasn't to host a show like that. But I will say that uh, as I got more into this material and, and I started to uh, collect recordings of these things, uh, I certainly, I loved the idea of being on the radio sharing these sounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure... You know, being an overly imaginative 12-year-old, that there were probably times I would sit in the bedroom and, and imagine myself introducing Fibber, McGee, and Molly, or X-1. And then, you know, I think of the time, though, it was probably no different than a 12-year-old who says, you know, I'm going to play for the Chicago Bulls. Right. <laughs> or, you know, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the president of the United States, or whatever. That's the sort of things 12-year-olds... Uh, can throw about with with relative abandon. Right. Um, but that said, I was very lucky in that when I was in high school here in, in the Midwest, uh, we had a 10-watt radio station, and I was actually able to go on as a freshman with, a, with an old-time radio show. And let's just say it, it was uh, a sobering experience in the sense that it, it taught me enthusiasm will only get you so far. <laughs> so I was I was grateful for the opportunity, though, and and yes, it it it, it was it was a an absolutely unexpected delight uh, for the chance to to step in as host of those were the days in two thousand nine, and uh, certainly not anything I'd ever anticipated doing. Uh, as as I assumed the. the previous host, Chuck Shaden, would just carry on forever, but, um, you know, I don't think either of us, when when he he turned over his Nostalgia Digest magazine, I don't think either of us viewed it as any kind of a succession plan, but uh, I'm really grateful that I had that experience because it allowed us to know each other well enough to where he felt he could trust me with this, this thing that had been his baby for four decades, and I'm enormously grateful to him for that. Well, it's kind of interesting that you're able to carry on both, because it seems like, you know, a massive undertaking to do both a radio show and a publication. I did a publication for a number of years, and it's like, Uh, wow. (laughs) It's like, I'm thinking, could I have done a radio show at the same time, too? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I've worked in, in publishing, uh, and, and I don't know the publication to which you refer, but I do know, yes, having worked on, on monthly and bi-monthly deadlines, uh, you're right. Those can take a lot out of you. Yeah. And and then if you're if you're writing or contributing on top of that, yeah. Um, with the digest, we're kind of lucky in in that um, it's a quarterly. So in in the sense that you've got you've got at least a little time uh, to to recover your breath before you start in on the next issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, I used to work at a at a comic book publication in the 1990s and. Like a lot of publications involving the arts or pop culture, you know, you you are you are beholden to schedules that sometimes are not within your your control. Right. Um, by comparison, you know, as as we say, most of the people we profile in Nostalgia Digest have nothing new to promote. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or they're not even <laughs> alive. Sometimes I hate to right, say. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, there, there's no new Danny K project that makes this article time sensitive, you know. I mean, yes, if you're writing about about um, Idina Menzel or Paul McCartney, yes, their album drops on the 28th, and man, you've got to have the article out in time for that. Right. Um, with us, it's like, you know, Orson Welles is Orson Welles, and you write about him when the mood strikes you, and, okay. and nothing will have changed in the last 30 years. And in a way, that's kind of comforting. I mean, we're still, we'll still learn things about these people, and, and different writers have different perspectives. But yeah, it's been, um, it has been great fun. I always liken all these things to, to a job where you lay out baseball cards on the floor and make a team, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's, you know, having, having worked in publishing, and again, the parameters can vary from place to place, but every every publication I think has it in their in their minds that the article that runs first is going to be different from the article that runs next and the article that runs after that. And you know that's an age old uh, goal for for all publications, I think. And and we're lucky in that nostalgia is, is a pretty broad umbrella. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, we can we can have articles about. Um, Lucia Ball and Desi Arnaz or Hedy Lamarr. Uh, at the same time, you can have an article about some famous radio show or some obscure radio show or some filmmaker whose films we know even if we don't know the filmmaker or just a personal recollection mm-hmm. you know, yeah. from somebody who remembers how it used to be living in the United States, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, how do, how do you determine uh, what uh, people you'll profile or what radio shows you'll profile? Is it just like drawing it out of the hat or you just go, oh, we haven't done Lucy and Desi for a while or uh, what? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, we are fortunate that we, we, we hear from writers uh, who often will come to us and say, hey, I've got an article about such and such I'd love to write. Do you want it? And, and you know, if, if the answer is yes and they send it in, we just think, all right, Let's find a place for that. Some people love to write about um, the the niche performers, you know, the, right. the character actors, or, or those people who might be, you know, who might be forgotten by 21st century audiences. Um, and sometimes, yes, you have to be judicious and think, well, <laughs> okay, I'm not sure 21st century audiences will get this, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Um in terms of, of putting an issue together, I mean, we, we, like I say, 
we go with the articles we have. We look at, you know, what would make a good starting point. Um, in a way, I, I suppose it's sort of like preparing a, a banquet in that you may have that centerpiece dish, that one thing you know, this is going on the table, this is going to be the main course. What goes with that? Right. Um, so, you know, for instance, yes, I mean, in, in the current issue where we have the cover story about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, um, we thought, all right, well, we don't necessarily need to run another television story, or if we do, it doesn't need to be about a comedy. But what's something that would that would be just as important that has nothing to do with the sort of slapstick comedy that Lucille Ball did on television? Well, then you get Hedy Lamarr. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> um, and, you know, from there you can, you can see, all right, well, maybe we want something about you know, something less glamorous in this next article, and maybe, you know, and then you get George Raft, mm-hmm. uh, whose, whose film output was vastly different from Hedy Lamar or Lucille Ball. Um, you know, or you get an article about George Powell, the man who produced the War of the Worlds movie. Right. And, and then from there, right, you can sort of, you can sort of fill in the gaps, and sometimes, yes, you, you have... You go back to the movie well a second or third time, just yeah. as you might have two TV articles or whatever. But the purpose has always been, like I say, to make each each issue different from the issue before and to make really each article in that issue different from the article before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we if you, if you have a, a something... If someone's written something about, say, uh, The Wizard of Oz or, mm-hmm. you know... What's, you, you want to find something that's really completely different from that, and you put that in there. And sometimes that's easier than other times, but uh, it's always been a goal of ours. And, and I've always maintained that, um, you know, the analogy we use in, in Chicago about the weather is if you don't like it, wait 15 minutes and it'll change. Uh, you know? And that sort of, I mean, we can joke about it, but that's sort of been a guiding philosophy of, mm-hmm. of publishing the Digest in the sense that, you know, all right, maybe maybe this subject isn't to your liking, but in six pages, it'll be a different subject. Right. And, <laughs> you know, I think that one you'll like. And very often that's the case. I, I think people who, uh, people who are into the golden age of entertainment, whether it's radio or movies or whatever... I think their I don't think their interests stop with with any one movie or radio show or television show. Right. And in fact, I I think in a lot of cases you'll find that their interests go far beyond that that genre. You know, for instance, I mean, I I my wife didn't know the Golden Age of Radio at all when we met, but she knew Art Deco. You know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And she knew the films of William Powell and Myrna Loy, and mm-hmm. and so it wasn't part part of what we're doing is letting people know. All right, it's not a huge leap from where you are to where we are. Right. And that is, you know, we've we've been able to find some interesting common ground that way. Um, and of course, too, one one thing that's changed in the last uh, decade or so is that we're. Uh, we're in stores. We didn't. We didn't used to be for about thirty-five or thirty-two years uh, of the of the publication. But in the last uh, dozen years or so, we've gotten into stores, and of course, that that affects what you do in the sense that 
you don't necessarily feel like, ah, time for that Verna Felton cover story. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> that'll get you, that'll get some eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I love Verna Felton, who's yeah. a tremendous actress. But yes, in the sense that, you know, the days when we could put um, B. Benaderet or Elliot Lewis on the cover. Yeah terrific actors that they were that's probably a thing of the past for the time being right. um, but that said you find people who are who are deserving and like I say it, it's it's not all that hard to find talented and relatively well known performers from that era who could go on the cover of a right. magazine whether it's uh, you know Lucy and Desi or Ozzy and Harriet or even Jack Benny who, yep you know, yeah. who is still held in enormous regard today. So, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, this is a very long-winded quest answer to a question <laughs> that I'm now beginning to forget. <laughs> I should probably stop. Well, it's just, uh, you know, basically putting out the magazine. You basically explained it. I mean, I know, yeah, you do try to cater to the audience sometime because, like, uh, I believe the Wizard of Oz uh, issue that came out a few months ago had two covers. You... Uh, and I guess it was for the 80th anniversary, so you try to tie it in to an anniversary in a case like that. So I get it. Yes, you know? yeah. we did have we did have that article to coincide with the 80th anniversary of the Wizard of Oz, and actually it was our publication's 45th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And as a rule, I don't do variant covers, uh, but I, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, why should Entertainment Weekly have all the fun? <laughs> Well, it confused me because, uh, you know, I see it in the store sometimes before I get it in the mail. And so I flip uh-huh. through it. And then I, I got it in the mail and I go, wait a minute. And, and the cover's different. Now, you did explain oh, it, no. but it's like I, I didn't look at that blurb first. You know, I just, uh, you know, so I thought I missed an issue at first. So. Well, we may we may discover that, yes, it's it's probably better not to uh, pull that sort of trick in our readers. But, but you did um, explain it, so it was okay. Oh, yeah. You know, it's sort of like it's 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 amazing it's it's very gratifying that we have we have readers who i think by and large trust us and um i don't know if if larger publications necessarily have that i mean i'm sure there are people who who will always subscribe to entertainment weekly or to rolling stone or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um but i think they're they're also aware that if you have a real beef with um the editorial policy, uh, you're probably never actually going to be able to convey that to the person who made the editorial decision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas if somebody if somebody had a question about something we published, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're here, and uh, that's. I like to think it's it's the same way you would patronize a local business or a small uh, a, a singularly owned business, uh, and and dare I say it's it's very gratifying because the readers share our passion and mm-hmm. and I think the, the, something Chuck Shaden taught me years ago hosting those for the days was that he would occasionally schedule something like an afternoon of big band remotes mm-hmm. and now I love I didn't I didn't used to love that music and now I, I since I've I've matured I have yeah uh, I'm quite enamored with it and <laughs> but I knew that people who but he said you know I knew that people who wanted to hear comedy or mysteries, they miss—they weren't necessarily going to want to hear an afternoon of, of the big bands. And they would often call me and say, you know what, I'm going to skip your show on, on the 5th. Hmm. But they would almost always say, but I'll come back next week. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, inc- that's a great lesson. 
been cultivated over the years. And I think, yes, people understand that, you know, we may do something that doesn't doesn't reach you at that particular moment in whatever mood you're in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are times you realize you're also doing it for, for the greater good of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we did, on our radio show this year, we devoted three Saturdays to the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Mm. And I'm not... I, I'm 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 aware that for people who fell in love with the golden age of radio, that might seem excessive, you know. And and again, if you if you're tuning in and the idea is, I would love to hear a mystery program, or I want to hear a, a dramatic show or a comedy show. I understand that this is a little bit different than that, but you know, in in, in keeping with the fact that it was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, you know. As I said to somebody, the next time we have the 75th anniversary of D-Day, we'll ignore it. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are things you simply... The, the history is also as important um, as, as the, uh, you know, the entertainment value sometimes. And that was, that was an example of something I was really glad we did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that leads me to the... Since you've transitioned over to the radio show... Uh, how, how do you put that together? I mean, where do you get your uh, uh, sources, and do you have a big staff helping you, or is it pretty much you on your own figuring this pretty out? Much, it's pretty much a one-man operation in terms of selecting the shows, although that said, the audience does have something to do with it. Okay. Um, because, yeah, obviously, you know, we can go out there and say, you know, on this Saturday we're playing this show or playing this comedy and this you know we're playing the Jack Benny program and the Judy Canova show and Dimension X and Murder at Midnight uh, and sometimes people are fine with that but what what is invariably the case uh, I think when you when you put ideas out there and and having worked in publishing you you're aware of this I'm sure when you mm-hmm. it, when you're out there in an editorial set saying here's what we're doing some people will say that's great let's have more of that Mm-hmm. Other people say, that was good, and that reminded me of this other thing. <laughs> How about you play one of those? And it's like, hey, that's fine. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, maybe three months down the line, that person who said, gee, I'd love to hear Broadway's My Beat. It's like, okay, that's mm-hmm. easy. Um, and in a way, the magazine helps to dictate the radio show as well, because right. one of the things we've we've always tried to do is present articles in the magazine where there's there's some kind of connection to radio. Not, I mean, sometimes in the sense of a performer or a show closely associated with radio, but other times, you know, as in the current issue, you know, we have an article about Hedy Lamarr. Right. Hedy Lamarr was not a radio star. No. But she did enough to where we could say we can we can share some examples of Hedy Lamarr on radio. Maybe she was on a Lux program or she was a guest on, on the Bob Hope show. And so when you've got that sort of thing and you think, all right, I've got a 60-minute Lux program with Hedy Lamar, That's got to go in here somewhere. Right. And once, and again, like the magazine, once you've got that centerpiece, you can then turn around and say, all right, what's going what's gonna to be a compliment to this? Right. And, you know, for instance, you could put a Hedy Lamar radio show on there and think, well, What's the antithesis of Hedy Lamar? And then you think, well, maybe the National Barn Dance. I don't know, you know <laughs> or whatever. Maybe, maybe some, you know, 
something uproarious, something outrageous. Um, so, yeah, again, it's and, and then there are times when you don't necessarily you don't necessarily think in terms of, of a specific performer or a specific thing, but you do look and think, it's been a while since we played show X, and again, what would what would be a counterpart to that? You know, yeah. and then some days you just decide, hey, let's do a whole afternoon of westerns, you know, or let's do a whole afternoon of shows about baseball, yeah. and then you get you can get everything from a Jack Benny program where he's and Mary are at their game to uh, an episode of The Saints where Vincent Price is Simon Templer is being assigned to watch over a young baseball player, you know. Um, so there are a lot of there are a lot of things there. The, the audience does help us in the sense of, you know, they'll they'll often come up with some idea, not necessarily in terms of we we don't necessarily go to them and say, hey, why don't you help us shape the program, mm-hmm. but they will certainly come to us and say, you know, what about what about this? What about that? What about an afternoon of shows about people playing cards? You know. And then you find out, oh my goodness, there's actually a whole lot of them. That's great. Um, and you know, and, and so yes, and in turn, like anything else, you could you can come to them and say, hey, we've put together a whole show of, of programs involving cards and people playing games of cards, mm-hmm. and Ozzy and Harriet, Ozzy Nelson doing card tricks on the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. And then some people will, somebody may say, eh, you know, that wasn't you. I liked that, but what about this? Mm-hmm. And you go from there. So, you know, you, you keep your ears open to a whole lot of things, um, and then you you hopefully put things together in a way that will keep people entertained. And and like I say, you can never you can never predict what's going to do it, but uh, but I think in turn we've cultivated the trust in our audience to where they'll say. That didn't do it for me, but you know we'll come back next week and that'll do it for me. Mm-hmm. Now, now when you're compiling things, do you have access to like every existing radio old time radio show, or uh, do you sometimes have to kind of uh, shop around and see if you can find it or something like that? If you know about well, some, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly well, I the internet of course has changed our whole perspective in terms of collecting shows. Mm-hmm. No, I have. I have a library of a few thousand tapes and a few thousand compact discs and and probably an external hard drive of MP3s of varying sound quality. Um, I've never really thought, I mean, I've rarely thought in terms of I want to make this happen and that involves going out searching. You know, sometimes, yes, you you can say, gee, I wonder if there's more with more radio performances from this actor or actress that I'm aware of mm-hmm. and you'll find somebody who's got them and yes you'll you'll arrange to, to get that but um, just as often and again it's sort of like putting the magazine together you you look at what you have mm-hmm. and from there you know you determine well can this can this go into a show is it of the appropriate sound quality and if it is you know where do we find a place for it so um, you know, Chuck collected thousands, tens of thousands of hours worth of shows during his time as host of Those Were the Days. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I became a collector of these things long before I had any notion that I was going to be presenting <laughs> them to an audience. So, you know, in that sense, right, we've, we've got a good number of, of different shows. Um, and so, yes, yeah, sometimes it's a case of, of 
just of being satisfied with what you have. You know? <laughs> <Excuse> um, me. <clears throat> I mean, I we have, you know. We have a couple hundred episodes of suspense, I'm sure, and it probably would be very easy to just say, all right, there's got to be something in here we can use. Because, <laughs> um, you know, if not, then what was I doing? <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, yeah, so some, sometimes we, we, I've, I've, never, I've never tried to make a promise to an audience that I wasn't sure I could keep, whether that was in terms of, of putting the magazine together or in terms of putting the show together. Uh, you know, we publish the schedule for our show in the magazine, and, right. and that comes out uh, in advance, uh, obviously, by, by several weeks uh, between, you know, the, 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 the publication of the Digest and the, the beginning editorial date on that schedule. Um, and, yeah, I would, not, I would not want to put anything in there and then find out, oh, Gee, I, folks, I thought I was going to get that. You know, that, then it becomes the equivalent of of the store where the truck broke down and, and nothing got delivered. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and all you end up with are unhappy customers. Right. Um, I know years ago Chuck would occasionally preempt a show in the event of some famous performer's passing. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Crosby or Hope or whomever, and that and that's certainly a worthwhile endeavor. But he also found that. It, it, it also aggravated some people who thought, oh, gee, I thought you were playing a Burns and Allen show this day, and I was really looking forward to that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I, think, I think people hopefully understand that, that you know, there's, this is planned out relatively far in advance, yeah. and sometimes the fates are aligned to where you can do something timely. Other times they're not. Um, but you know we'll we'll get to everybody and everything in due time. Um, <laughs> that's that's the plan anyway. <laughs> now um, I, I've heard or know about or read or whatever that you have a podcast as well for this. Uh, how does that differ from the, those were the days? I have not heard it yet, to be honest. Oh, the Nostalgia Digest podcast. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, this. Years ago, when I took over the show, people were asking if we were going to do a podcast, mm -hmm. and I had thought about it, and, and I, I realized, I mean, at the time, I was doing two shows. I was doing Those Were the Days, and I was also doing an internet radio show, and I thought, you know, I, done, I knew people who had done podcasts were basically, they say, this is my podcast, and they hit the play button on a, on a tape. Uh, or, or, or you know what I mean in the sense of well, that's me. this is my mystery podcast here's sorry wrong number like, <laughs> and I didn't want it to be just a case of we repackaged a, a, a show we did and now it's miraculously a podcast yeah so I thought about it and I realized what, what we what we ended up doing with the Nostalgia Digest podcast was more or less the audio equivalent of an article as it might appear in our magazine. Okay. You know, we've, we've relied on topics that and, and performers that we've covered in the magazine, and then very often we've, I mean, we've done what I guess you would, not exactly documentaries, but in the sense that, you know, yes, it, it allows us to focus on a given performer or a given show, and we can talk about, you know, the various, people, for instance, on radio who played Sam Spade. We can talk about the career of, of an Elliot Lewis or a B. Benaderet, and then along the way we'll share some, some 
clips of them in different shows. You know, here's, okay. here's Elliot Lewis in the Cinnamon Bear. Here's Elliot Lewis on the Phil Harris, Alice Faye show. Here he is with his wife on the on-stage program. Uh, and then sometimes we're lucky to, uh, to get to interview folks who have a connection to that time. Sometimes uh, people who, who were of that era, like, like Bob Elliott from Bob and Ray, mm-hmm. but also people who have, you know, a family connection or a historian's connection. I mean, we got uh, to interview Bob Elliott's granddaughter, Bridie, mm. uh, and of course she had marvelous stories about, about her, her grandfather's home and, and learning uh, as an adult what he'd accomplished as a, as a humorist with, with Ray Goulding. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also got to interview Leonard Moulton, who, mm-hmm. who of course is a, a film historian um, non parel and, right. <laughs> and of course, but before, but fifty years ago, he was he was a teenage movie fan who was interviewing the likes of Benny Barnes and Burgess Meredith and writing about them in his in his zine. And right. it's like, so in a way, yes, it's it's fascinating to hear the stories about meeting Burgess Meredith, but it's also fascinating to think like. Wow, tell us about publishing 50 years ago. That was totally different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've, we've done... <laughs> we've just finished our eighth year of the podcast. Oh, and okay. um, we, we always keep a year's worth up at our website and a year's worth up at iTunes. And then um, when a given year is over, we'll, we'll make that available on a CD, on a, you know, basically 12 MP3 files. Um, and yes, I know one of the things that always that is always uh, stuck in my craw concerning the MP3 revolution is that uh, very often, and I and I can't say this is universally the case. I have not that much experience at it, but but I have noticed that sometimes people will say, you know, they'll they'll hawk a disc, a CD of like 200 Dragnet shows. Right. And first of all, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean that is that is literally a hundred hours mm-hmm. of nothing but dragnet. Uh, but also, you know, given given what's involved in compressing those files to fit two hundred shows onto a disc, there's you're going something's going to suffer as a result. And I didn't want to, I didn't want this to the podcast to be a case of what's the most we can cram in here, <laughs> uh, regardless of sound quality. Um, Sometimes you can't pick and choose the sound quality of these recordings, but we've always tried to make it something that would sound good and hopefully be informative as well, whether it was a conversation with someone from the golden age of radio or television or a chance for us to talk about, you know, the career of, uh, you know, Arch Obler or Bing Crosby or (laughs) Edgar Bergen or Groucho Marx or whomever, mm-hmm. uh, because all those people had fascinating careers in radio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can if we can take you a little bit, through a little bit of that at least, then, you know, mission accomplished. Now, some of the interviews, do they do double duty on both shows? Those were the days, like, I, I remember hearing uh, Carl Reiner one that was pretty fascinating about his boyhood times listening to the radio and stuff like that. And would you also use that on the podcast as well? Generally, I try to avoid double dipping in that okay. sense, um, just because I figure, you know, the 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 shows, you know, are there, and and also because if you if you heard the radio show, then you heard the conversation, and you know, 
then the podcast would risk being redundant. Okay. That said, I did I did it once uh, this <laughs> fall because um, back in 2010, I had interviewed Marsha Hunt, the actress, mm-hmm. uh, and she was just an absolute delight. My wife and I sat with her for, gosh, almost an hour and a half just talking about her career in, in radio and in movies and on television. And then this last year, there, uh, a documentary about Marsha had been released, and I thought, well, I, I, I actually allowed myself to, to make a podcast out of the interview we did with her in 2010, because at this point, Marsha's 102 years old, right? <laughs> and I wasn't about to go to her and say, let's do an interview let's promoting do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me ask you the same questions I asked you nine years ago, but, you yeah. know, we're all older now. Right. So... Uh, I took some moments of that that I thought would be appropriate, and 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 again, but even there, uh, it we we dropped in a few clips of things to which she referred. You know, she talked about her her first radio appearance on the Lux Radio Theater, where she was credited as Georgina Spelvin. Mm-hmm. And so we featured a clip from that, and then she talked about being in the playing uh, Blanche Bickerson opposite Don Amici, and we featured a clip of that. So we always try to to include some sounds from the past when we're even when we're talking with people in the present. Uh, but no, I've sort of kept the show and the and the podcast separate from one another. Uh, I know a lot of radio shows will will do podcasts based on their radio shows, uh, and I've I've appeared on people's shows, and I've always had a marvelous time. And then of course. You'll, you'll talk on the radio for 30 minutes, and then, then the station's website puts it up as a podcast. Um, that didn't really interest me. Like yeah. I say, I just figured that was um, that was its own thing. And I'm, I'm very happy that there's all kinds of different ways to do one's own thing. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it's good for me to know because, uh, you know, I've listened to the radio show, I've read the magazine, and I go, well, is the podcast anything different? And I could have investigated it, but I figure I'm talking to you, I'll ask you. <laughs> you have investigated, you've called me, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, no, it's true, and, and you sort of, and I realized, like I say, a lot of shows are are quite happy to, to do podcasts, which basically take each segment of their broadcast and, and slice it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. And audiences, I think, appreciate that on occasion, too, where you can go back and say, all right, you, this guy was on his show last week at 11 p.m. and I wasn't awake, but here it is. And there's, that's fine. I've, I've, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just knew that wasn't going to be, that wasn't going to satisfy me. And, and I didn't think it was necessarily going to be as indicative of what, you know, Nostalgia Digest does, for example, as a Nostalgia Digest podcast, which, which, you know, again, every every month we like to do something a little bit different, so you can have, you know, uh, an article of uh, an article. <laughs> you can do a podcast about the Quiz Kids one month, and about <laughs> Jimmy Durante the next month, right. and about Jack Webb one month, and about the Lone Ranger the next, or Studs Turkle, you know. Um, and that's that's been part of the marvelous thing here is that. I've always wanted to sort of let people know that the Digest, like the radio show, was dedicated to all kinds of subjects that would fall under this umbrella of nostalgia. Mm. And the podcast has sort of allowed me to um, act on that in, in terms of letting people know, hey, 
here's a, a podcast about somebody who was on the cover of this issue that came out three years ago, and if you missed it, well, don't despair, because right. we're going to talk about that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's all, it's all of, a, of a piece in that respect. Right. Now, when Chuck ran the show and published the magazine, did he do it similarly to you, or did you totally revamp it when he took over? Oh no! I th- the approach was very similar. Okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't have any real invention or desire to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. and uh, I always took the attitude that um, there were enough magazines catering to the interests of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So you know, Chuck, Chuck had the same. I don't know if it's the exact identical mixture of, of past and present. Stuff. Mm-hmm. But certainly the goal was the same, to cover a, a, a broad swath right, uh, okay. of Arrow through, through its movies, through its television shows, through its radio shows, through its, through its celebrities, its stars. And yeah, that was, that was the approach I took as well. Obviously, Chuck and I are, are several years apart, so our perspective on these things is going to be different. Right. And, you know... I was I was just thinking the overall look, you know, it's a digest size with color, or did he have it? Because I only see like little like photo photographic reproductions of what old issues look like. Would you know? Was it always done the same way as a color digest, no. or is it just no. a mimeograph color, or something? <laughs> color cover. That is the first cover with color. I, I don't want to give people the wrong impression yeah. about what we've got here. Um, a black and white image on a color background, I think, began around 1982. Oh, okay. It's still uh, a while ago, though. Okay. It's still a while ago, yeah. and yes, in, in a sense, yeah, we have not done a lot of radical changes yeah. uh, in, in that respect. Sometimes we've allowed ourselves to print a cover in full color, Yeah. but... That depends in part on the image. Right. You know, uh, obviously, the majority of the press photos and whatnot in our library were taken in black and white, and it hasn't it, it it hasn't struck me as the best use of our resources and our time to colorize all of that. Right. Um, but conversely, you know, back in 2007, we did our first swimsuit issue. Yeah. And we found this full color photo of Marilyn Monroe, and yeah. I thought, well. We'd be crazy not to publish this in full color. Good grief! Right. <laughs> oh yeah, there are times when it really—it's inescapable that you you really have to go in full color. You know, when we did a, we did an issue about eleven years ago for the hundredth anniversary of the animated cartoon. Mm-hmm. So of course, Mickey Mouse goes on the cover, and of course, it's got to be in color. You know, um, you know, and conver- but yeah, conversely, the majority of covers over the years have been. Uh, a single color with a black and white photo, right. and okay. uh, but of course, going back to the very beginning, and this is forty-five years ago yeah. now, the uh, the magazine was actually uh, a broadsheet. It was it was I don't even remember the specific dimensions, but basically, it was a long sheet of paper it was, mm-hmm. which you then fold into thirds to make a six-page publication. Mm. And then you'd fold that into thirds to fit inside an envelope to mail out to subscribers. <laughs> uh, I think in 70, at the end of 75, um, it had adapted, it had, it had grown into the sort of five and a half by eight and a half format that we've used ever since. Okay. Um, 
it was, it's varied over the years. I mean, at one time it was 16 pages, at other times 24 or 32 pages. We became a 64-page quarterly in 2003, I think. Okay. And that's the format we've used ever since. Yeah. And I probably, see, I, I think I only saw it once you got newsstand distribution and Barnes & Noble started carrying it. And, sure. you know, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, what is this weird thing? And I just bought it. And <laughs> I, I, it probably had Jack Benny on the cover because I didn't buy every issue. I, I used to just go by who was on the cover. And then sure. after a bit, I just said, I should just start buying all of them. And then, and then I started subscribing when it was not being distributed as well. Now it is again, but, you know, I'd rather just subscribe to know that I'll get it, you know. But, uh, well, I appreciate but, that. And, of course, part, part right. I mean, one of the, one of the things Chuck told me when, when he, uh, he offered me the chance to take over as the publisher was that, you know, something to keep in mind is this, this magazine has never been marketed. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because, of course, Chuck had promoted it through his radio show, which we still do. Yeah. Um, he had also... He also had run a store uh, on the west side of Chicago, a, a member a nostalgia store for many years, and they carried it. And the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago carried it. Mm -hmm. And that was about it. And that was fine. That's That was a sustaining, that was a good-sized uh, subscription base. Mm -hmm. But I realized, too, that when I took over in 2005, there were a lot of opportunities to reach a larger audience. And... There, that sometimes is done through trial and error, but I do remember, gosh, 2006, I signed up with Ubiquity Distributors, and they're no longer in business, and I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I do remember just how amazing it was to think, like, hey, all right, you know, there's, we're, we're printing up X number of copies, and they're going into stores, and, and people are seeing it, and they're, they're buying it, and then they're thinking... They want to subscribe, and that's huge. I mean, yeah. we have, like I say, we have subscribers now from all over the country calling us um, because they've seen it, as you say, in a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million, mm -hmm. uh, or or in or in some independent bookstore. Is although those are are fewer and farther between than they were uh, a dozen years ago. And yeah, that was that was part of the idea. Was uh, we figured this this ought to be bigger than. We ought to be able to make this bigger on some level, you know, mm -hmm. or at least get get the word out there to the people because we knew Chicago had a devoted radio base because Chuck had been doing the show for for many many years. So we mm -hmm. knew there were people around here who loved old time radio and who loved old movies, right. and who loved these collect you know collecting memorabilia and that sort of thing. And it's been incredibly gratifying to hear from people around the country and in mm -hmm. some cases you know in um around the world we've got subscribers in canada and australia and japan and england and you know just to know that this this thing we're doing uh has resonance to them you know that's that's tremendous because that's i think ultimately what we're doing I think anybody who, who does the sort of thing we're doing in, in terms of sharing these sounds or sharing these stories, you know, you're doing it from a place of affection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone, <laughs> you know, I can't imagine anybody who's, who, who would not have an affection for these things right. yet publish a magazine about them. Right. Know, it'd be like, <laughs> that, that cannot be that lucrative. Yes. Just can't. <laughs> um, you know, and, and my goodness, and... What is the 
Ian Dury said, you know, there's what would be terrible to be doing all day business you don't like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've I've always maintained that if you can if you can share an affection for something that that gives you an opportunity to reach out to other people right. who who may or may not share your your particular affection, but in some cases it's people who appreciate that you've shared an affection. Right. There's yeah. so much there's so much divisiveness in in modern media and publishing and in broadcasting and and so many things designed to keep us apart that you know I'm I'm in favor of anything that can bring more people together and right. sometimes that means hey you know what you know you you thought you might be the only person in this town that liked William Powell and Myrna Loy guess what they're on the cover of this magazine <laughs> you know? yeah and well, that I know I know from a kid growing up in the suburbs of Chicago that um, and and in my case, it was listening to punk rock or, or new mm-hmm. wave music, and then to find out there were magazines that would profile these people. Well, that was a thrill, right? You know, um, whether whether or not the material, the writing was deathless, I didn't know, and and I'm not sure I would go back now and analyze it. But <laughs> I appreciate it. But I understand what it means to to have that thing that you you aren't 100 percent sure anyone else is into, and then find a publication that's that's devoted to it. Right. I, 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 I am always happy for the chance to, to spread some of that magic around if I can. Right. Now, you asked me earlier in the show, uh, what did I publish? Uh, I did yeah. a fanzine about Harvey Comics for about 25, 21 years called the Harveyville Fun Times. You know, Casper, Richie Rich, that type of stuff. And... Uh, when I started it, I, it ran from 1990 to 2011. When I started it, I didn't know there was no internet. I didn't know if anybody even cared. But I wanted to do, I wanted to do a fancy. <laughs> so, sure. And, uh, and and this would have been in the days too when it would have been like running it running it over to Kinkos, right? Wasn't that your? I mean, yeah. Or, yeah. or to a cop shop, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the very first one was, first couple of them were typed on a typewriter because I didn't have a computer yet, so it's... <laughs> and oh, the... man. <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. You know, well, and, and Chuck, uh, and, and I'm old enough to know this feeling, but I know when Chuck was doing it, it was on the days when you could get typeset, yeah. and then and then the printers would give you these, these sheets, which you would then paste onto a board mm-hmm. and take over to the printer, and I remember doing that in college on a, on a, on my paper, college paper, and and we always used to joke that, you know, that for some sometimes you'd you'd trim a line out with an exacto knife and then you'd think you'd gotten rid of it and and then you realize the knife had had gotten stuck on a page and suddenly there's this letter E at a forty five degree angle <laughs> just in the middle uh, just yeah. just dropped into the middle of things right. <laughs> uh, because you didn't get rid of it, but well, my hat's off to you. I think I think the the you know, and and I don't know. I mean, if you were able to do it for twenty one years, that that indicates you found a crowd, an audience that would that would appreciate this. Yeah, well, especially during the first decade or so, uh, because there wasn't anything else out there. Uh, once once the internet came in, it was a, more of a struggle, which was like the the last five or six years of it, and it's like, I kept it going probably longer than I should have, but by the end, it wasn't typewritten, it was full color and uh, glossy and everything else, so it's like, I kept improving it at least, but uh, I eventually stopped because I started writing books instead, so that's where I went, but... Oh, 
<laughs> so. Okay. Well, yeah, you went from strength to strength, and, yeah. and I know the feeling. It's it's marvelous when you can do the thing you love, and you know, and then and over time, and I imagine you probably discovered this is, you know, you 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 start out doing this thing, and you think this is the thing I love, and then you realize the thing you love might actually be putting together a publication. Yeah. Or it might be simply the act of writing, whether it's you know whether it's for about Harvey Comics or um, about you know colonic irrigation. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I was I was lucky enough to what, before before I took over the Digest, I worked at a comic book publication as an editor, and then I worked um, for a medical organization as an editor. Mm, okay, and those were. Those were obviously two very different disciplines, and I cannot guarantee you that I came into each one with the same uh, knowledge and understanding of the subject, but I also discovered over time, it's like, but I'm, I, I'm loving the fact that I'm helping someone to hopefully better articulate what they want to say. Right. And, and so, yes, that became, that became the delight. Yeah. Um, well, and so yes, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to do that uh, to to this day. Well, one of the publications I read this on your little bio. Uh, I actually read. I didn't know it was you, but uh, Hero Illustrated. I actually bought that on a regular basis. When what? well, that was you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <coughs> yes, Hero Excuse Illustrated me. was was one of those things that that kind of fell into my lap. Uh, okay. I had started. Uh, I had befriended people in the comic book business in the 1990s, and I say befriended, I, I don't want to say I was like, you know, uh, in with the in crowd, because I don't think there was such a thing, but <laughs> I had I had met people who had worked professionally, and, and of course, um, you know, here in Chicago, you had people like Jay Lynch, who had done Phoebe and the Pigeon People, and, and you had the guys who were doing underground comics, and mm -hmm. then you also had guys like um, Paul Fricke and Len Straszewski, who'd, who'd done stuff for DC, uh, in Malibu, and so mm -hmm. you know, I, I I was getting some understanding of this, and then Hero started up in the suburbs of Chicago in 1993, and and Mark Cameron, uh, who was over there, invited me to uh, join the staff, mm -hmm. or at least recommended that I did, and it was a r tremendous experience. Um, I think I think in some ways. Uh, I learned the first hand the, the bunker mentality of working 60 hour weeks um, <laughs> which is which I do not recommend <laughs> because you do you do become more uh, a more callow person um, but at the same time you know I got to I got to talk to people whose work I had admired tremendously like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman mm -hmm. um, and Jeff Smith and and get to share their stories with an audience and hopefully along the way um, you know, share share the stories of, of of writers or artists who perhaps aren't as well known as Alan Moore and, and Neil Gaiman, but you know, got to do that as well with with uh, you know, get to talk to Harvey Picar or to uh, you know David Latham about uh, the Straight Bullets book, you know, um, and I yeah, I got to meet some really interesting people and make some good friendships, and uh, I've. I've remain very grateful. Like I said, I'm sure I wasn't, I didn't always express my gratitude at the time, <laughs> <laughs> being an ungrateful young man, but, um, and an exhausted one too. But, you know, it was, it was a marvelous experience. And, and, you know, it, it showed me a lot about 
desktop publishing and, and meeting deadlines that I'd never had to know before. So in that respect, <laughs> it was also, it was, it, no, it was, it was a professionally, it was a good experience for yeah. me, and I'm very grateful for that. How, how long did that publication last? It seemed like it was about four or five years, is that correct, or is it? Uh, I think, no, I think the print version only made it about two and a half years. I oh, think okay. we got to 26 or 27 issues, okay. and then the publisher uh, decided in 1995, mind you, that he would bec- that it would become an all digital publication, oh, okay. and so it was it was too ahead of its time in that sense. Right, and and it was around the time I left because I sort of thought like, well, you know, right this this might be a great idea in five years. Right now, we're just kind of yeah, uh, we're just kind of throwing we're just kind of spitting into the void. Right. Um, but again, like I say, I I was I was very grateful for the fact that um, I got to write about people and 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 books that interested me. Mm-hmm. And I realized as I got older, you know, you're not always guaranteed that uh, in a in a desk job. And and then of course that also helped in terms of preparing me a little bit for for writing a few comics of my own, which I started to do in the 1990s. Right. And I wrote down a few of those. I mean, uh, I don't know if you want to talk There's about them. A few, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, you worked for slave labor with a comic called Empty Love. <laughs> now, Empty Love Stories, yes. Now, I know slave labor well because Dan Vado, he was a, he's a friend of mine and stuff like that. I, I, he doesn't, oh, well. you know, so. Uh, well, I've talked to him, tell him hello. I haven't talked to Dan probably in, in years and years, but. Yeah. Uh, I always, you know, Dan was one of those guys. Actually, and Dan, I met uh, interviewing him for Hero Illustrated. Oh, okay. He did talk about this afterwards. He said, you know, I've gotten your submission, and, you know, once you published the article about us, I put two and two together. I thought, oh, okay. So, I mean, yeah, that was really nice of him to to be the one to take that chance, because he didn't have to. Right. And um, we did one issue that sold reasonably well and talking about meeting deadlines I I didn't really I wasn't really thinking in terms of making this a series so I took like two years to do the second oh. one and that will kill your momentum I yes. discovered <laughs> um, and then afterwards I, I sort of decided well I don't want to you know I can't punish Dan for my schedule so mm-hmm. uh, that's when I decided to publish it myself and that was the beginning of uh, Funny Valentine Press back around 1998. Ah, we did the okay. Empty Love Stories, quote, special, unquote. Um, because it was the 90s, so air quotes around everything were great because they made it, you know, it was the time of great irony. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, so yes, Dan Dan was the first person to uh, put my byline on a, on a comic book, and I will always be grateful for that. And, and I was, I've been, uh, I've been very, very lucky in in terms of comic book writing because I haven't had a lot of um, opportunities over the years because other things have come along and, and whatnot. But right. uh, I've been very lucky to work with tremendously talented people. Of course, my my friend Alex Ross is is perhaps the best known of them. Yeah. But also, I mean, my gosh, working on Empty Love Stories, uh, you know, to work with Colleen Duran uh, or or Jeff Smith or Mike Allred or Jen Sorensen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those people just tremendously talented and you know they sort of we we went on the 
leap of faith that I would write something they'd want to draw, and and they did, bless their hearts, and some of them really, Colleen in particular, Batten Lash, bless his heart, but yeah. may rest in peace, oh. um, they they really nailed the look of romance comics, which was what that was trying to do. Right. And then, um, this I don't, well, it, this is your version of Uncle Sam, with, uh, that was the old DC comic? From way back when? Yes, this okay. was. Okay. Well, yeah, was, we did it for for DC's uh, mature readers line, Vertigo. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Alex Ross and myself, and yeah, we didn't really think of it in terms. At the time, I know the 1990s, a lot of people at, at the Vertigo line were doing quote adult versions of Golden Age characters. I hmm. think Grant Morrison had done some. Kid Eternity series, which, um, which I didn't. I mean, I told Grant this. I don't think he'll be shocked. I didn't think much of, um, you know, and and that was fine. But you know, there there was a lot of that going around. And so when when Alex and I had been talking about doing Uncle Sam, it seemed to make the most sense that it would be part of the Vertigo line. Mm. But we didn't really think of it as being the the old quality comics character that that Will Eisner had helped to create, hmm. as important as that was, because that was the, the superhero comic. Um, we were actually thinking of it in terms of the actual spirit of America. Ah, um, okay. You know, and so yes, we put we had it was it was a fascinating project because um, we were drawing from specific instances of, of United States history and and certainly some. Some that were not especially savory, um, <laughs> but you know that was important, and 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 of course, you know we wanted it to be a hero's journey, as the saying goes, and and we wanted to reflect the the affection we had for for this country, and also for the grand experiment that allowed this country to form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think. I don't. I, I don't want to get too editor. I don't want to editorialize uh, too much here because that's not what you were asking about. But um, I, I think the analogy we used is, you know, you can love people and also acknowledge that they're flawed. Right. right? Yeah. And you can love a country and also acknowledge that it's flawed. Yes. Um, and that's that's what we set out to do. Whether we were entirely successful or not is is not up to us. <laughs> To decide, but it was a remarkable experience, and and uh, and in fact, Alex and I are working together again uh, on a project that will be uh, coming out from Marvel in the I think in the spring of 2020. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but you can talk about it now yeah. since you mentioned sure. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I now I realize I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure how much I'm allowed to say, um, but but the long and short was that. Um, Alex had been working with Kurt Busiek, of course, which he's done many times over the years, and they had plotted a uh, a story and for this anthology that Alex was putting together, and and basically invited me to write the dialogue for that, and it was tremendously exciting. Like I say, I've just um, it was the first time I'd ever had a chance to play in the Marvel Comics sandbox, and I was utterly thrilled and I, I I can it's funny because I know that they've released some uh, publicity 
or some some press releases about um, this book coming out, and, and apparently my name was the only name mentioned in terms no. of the writers. <laughs> and, and I thought, um, and I and I know some of the other writers who are involved. And I thought, folks, believe me, I am not the big name here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I know that uh, I think Dan Brereton is involved, and um, Kurt will be involved, and and yes, I I had the chance to write the framing story mm-hmm. um, that's going to lead into the, um, the 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 other stories anthology, and it's just it was a great experience. And working with Alex is always a delight mm-hmm. because he is uh, he's utterly brilliant, so, um, and of course he's a tremendous artist, right? But he's also a really good collaborator, right? Uh, in the sense that he will come in and say, you know, he has he has nine ideas and he'd love to see them all implemented. But if you if he comes to you with an idea and you say, I what if we take that and go this way with it? He will listen to you. Yeah. You know, he's, he doesn't have his head stuck in the sand. He's not he's not uh, unafraid to do this. To, to take his idea and, and watch it evolve into something that that makes it a better working experience for everybody. Because I mean, he has he has great respect for storytelling, and at the end of the day, any any uh, discussions we've had have all been with the purpose of what will tell the best story. Right. And if he says, and if it's a case of me saying, why don't we change this panel, or if it's him saying, why don't we change this dialogue. You know, no no one's coming to that from a place of ego, and that's that's a really nice feeling to have. And I've always been grateful for that uh, chance to to experience that with him. Right. right. Yeah, I, I've met him a few times because he did a few signings at my friend. I don't know if you know Lee's Comics, uh, oh, sure. but uh, he 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 did some signings for those oversized DC books, the Batman and the Shazam one, and the Superman one. Uh, yeah. They wrote with uh, or he drew with uh, Paul Dini. You know, yeah. and uh, so yeah, I, I I got all those autographed and everything, and I thought he was a delight to meet and everything. So, I'm so glad, yeah. So, um, is this new? Well, he's another guy. I mean, he's another guy. Who talk about you know, you're coming to this from a place of affection, right? You know? And certainly, the world of comic books has in its history mm-hmm. has had plenty of people who, for whatever reason, have have decided to hack out the work. Right. Uh, he he never has. I mean, yeah. he can, can, he's he's an amazingly prolific artist, but you know, I don't think he's ever done anything that that wasn't going to engage him on some level. And I think that's something that readers obviously have have sensed. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's clearly why he's been as successful as he has. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what is the name of the new series? Is it just called Marvel or something else? I understanding it's just called Marvel, yeah. Okay. Is this like a continuation of that one called Marvels, plural, that was a few years ago, or? No, no, okay. actually, okay. um, in fact, I, Marvel just, they just published an epilogue to that series this last year, mm-hmm. which Kurt and Alex collaborated on, and in fact, right. um, I got to contribute to that, which was great fun, because Alex had wanted to do, um, basically a sort of Mad Magazine parody of Marvel's, and since we weren't 100% sure there was going to be a Mad Magazine, um, we decided we'd do it ourselves, mm-hmm. and so that was that was great fun, because all Kurt and Alex and I were all throwing in, you know, what's the, 
what what name can we give these characters? Um, mm-hmm. And and I think uh, Kurt came up with Prince Name Tag, and I I named him the Submarinade, you know, <laughs> and little things like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 little jokes here and there. I mean, I had I had the joke. But there is, um, and the best part was that this was all drawn by Mark Braun. Mm-hmm. Who had been Alex's model for Phil Sheldon, the photographer in Marvels? Oh wow! So okay. It really all came full circle with this. And and if you haven't, I, I will say this: if if you or your readers, if you if you have a chance, yes, do check out the Marvels epilogue book. Okay. Um, because it's really, they do this really lovely story involving the X Men, and I never thought I'd say that in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but they do it. They did a great job, and of course. Uh, uh, it was really enjoyable, and and so yes, I think I think Marvels is in the rearview mirror at this point for for mm. Kurt and Alex. Okay, but no, Al, I think Alex had wanted to do a book where he found a lot of artists whose work he'd enjoyed over the years and put them together to tell stories about these characters. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I know. I, I don't know all the people who are involved, but, but a few I've seen uh, do some beautiful work. And I know, like I say, Dan Brereton, I know, is one of the names that's definitely been thrown out in print. And, um, and there are some others, I mean, people who Alex has um, admired for many years, and, and I'm sure it's a great feeling to know that they're all going to be coming together. And, and I, can, I can say this, yes, yeah, some, some of the collaborations are, are pretty... The few I've seen have been really dazzling, and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, like I say, I, I hope Marvel's fans will enjoy it uh, as much as as I have. But yeah, Marvel. To answer your question, it's it's a standalone anthology, and and then my own contribution um, is writing the story that ends up being the sort of the framing device that that segues into the stories in the anthology. Ah, okay. All right. So and and when is that expected to come out? I mean, I think the first issue is due in March of okay. 2020. Okay. And then it's going to be six issues. So all things being equal, it'll run through the summer. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. we'll look forward to that. Um, I guess it's kind of that time of the show where we kind of wrap things up. Uh, okay. Is there anything you'd like to plug or, uh, you know, websites or how do people get in contact with you or anything else you want to say? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. Um, yes, NostalgiaDigest.com is where you'll find the Nostalgia Digest magazine uh, where you can buy subscriptions and back issues. It's where you can find the Nostalgia Digest podcast, uh, you've the, both the downloadable MP3s and the CD collections. Um, and it's where you can uh, learn about tickets to Those Were the Day's 50th Anniversary show, <laughs> happening in May of 2020 here in Chicago. And I am really excited about this because... Um, we're going to be recreating some moments from the golden age of radio with some of some some wonderful people and some very good friends of ours. A um, couple of the guys from Mystery Science Theater 3000 will be there, Trace Bill mm-hmm. and Evan Murphy. Um, Scott Lowell, uh, who was on the Showtime version of Queer as Folk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Kazarinsky, who was on Saturday Night Live, and in the, I think he's in the Police Academy movies. Yep. Um, and Patty McCormick, who was... <laughs> the, the bad, bad seed. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and uh, and then more recently, uh, she's been in Frost Nixon, oh, and yeah. the Master, and and, <laughs> and she was on the Ropers. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my God, was she really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Oh, I have to ask her about that. She was ma- um, she was married to Jeffrey Tambor, the na- the neighbor. <laughs> and oh, how this about is, that? That <laughs> if you didn't know this, yeah, this is pre Larry Sanders show, pre Arrested Development for Jeffrey. It's like the first thing he ever did, I think. <laughs> Wow, and of course, Patty would have still been, you know, a, right, a very a young woman. Yeah, I think uh, she was in her late twenties or something, maybe early thirties tops. Like that. <laughs> and um, so, yes, and of course, and she's in The Sopranos too, and I yeah. got to see some of that, and and, and she's just <laughs> terrific. So I was, uh, I was just delighted that all these folks were willing to come in and do this. It's a benefit for our, for our public radio home of WDCB. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that that. You can find out more about it at NostalgiaDigest.com, all of those things, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll like what you see. Okay, sounds good. And how do you get, those were the days, how do you tune into that? Oh, well, um, you can do it live Saturdays. Uh, If you're in the Chicago area, of course, we're on the radio at 90.9 FM. If you're anywhere else in the world, um, you want to hear us on the Saturday, you can do so at WDCB.org. But... I'm glad you mentioned that because the other nice thing about NostalgiaDigest.com is that we archive each of our shows for two weeks afterwards so Mm. that, for instance, you can go there right now and hear the show we did last Saturday. Um, And that's one of those things, again, the the Internet's changed the way we, we, we think of radio and even the way we think of the golden age of radio because now it's, it's being preserved in so many different ways and being made available in so many different ways that that simply weren't possible when when I was a twelve year old listening to Chuck Shane. Right. Uh, so it's been it's all tremendous. But yes, I'd say WDCB.org will get you uh, there on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, the rest of the week, by all means, visit NostalgiaDigest.com. And uh, is that where you'll find the podcast as well? That's where you'll find the podcast. Yeah, okay. and okay. Uh, the podcast, the magazine. Um, the radio shows of weeks past, and, and of course, old-time radio shows on compact disc as well. Cool. Because we're very much about embracing 20th century technology here in the 21st century. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, Steve, about all these things. I didn't know you did so many different things, but you're kind of like me, a man of many talents, many hats. <laughs> This jack-of-all-trades, yeah. master of some, I hope. But, Mark, <laughs> thank you so much for your interest. I really appreciate it, and uh, and congratulations on all you've done. Good luck with it. All right. Thank you very much, and we'll talk soon, and I'll let you know when I upload this podcast. Marvelous. Yes, please do. I'll look forward, and I'll spread the word to my uh, community as well. All right. Sounds good. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. Thanks. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Steve Darnall, for being my special guest. Episode number 63 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020 
Fun Ideas Productions, thank you and good night. of your lube, jeweled lube, too.